the series we're starting today is called Vital Signs, and it's a teaching series about the vital signs of a healthy church and a healthy Christian. So our health check today is mission. That is our health check. So we're going to go to the most obvious place in the Bible on this, which is Matthew 28. So turn our Bibles to Matthew 28. If you haven't got a Bible, um, it should come up on the screen behind me. And if you have got a Bible, open it, because it helps you find out where things are and places you're at. Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. The writer here is Matthew. But he's previously known as Levi. And Mark and Luke record the account of the meeting with Levi. It's a tax collector. You wouldn't have liked Levi. You just wouldn't have gone for him. He's the weasley little man sitting in a tool booth, toll booth, waiting to collect your money. He's collecting taxes off his own people. He works for the Romans, which is the occupying power, occupying power of the day. He rakes in the cash on a busy road in, in Israel, and he's topping up Caesar's imposed revenues. And on top of that, he has his own surcharges just for himself. You wouldn't have liked Levi. They didn't like Levi either. People like Levi were parasites. They were classified as the blood-sucking leechy, leeches you say, oh, that's harsh, Neil. But uh, that, that's how they were perceived, feeding off the sweat of the brow the, of their neighbors. How could, could you just live with people like this? He's the pit. Levi's the pit, bottom of the pile. He sold his soul to the Romans, and even though he's a Jew, he would not be welcome in any synagogue. No rabbi would have held out his hand to Levi. And one day, one day, Jesus comes across his toll booth and he looks over his stack of coins and he catches a glimpse of him in his eye and he says, follow me. And Levi, who Jesus, I suspect then, must have changed his name to Matthew. Levi, Matthew, gives a glimpse of a life that he could only have dreamt of. 
Somebody has called him. Somebody has invited him. Called him to a life that he would only have a sniff at. A rabbi would do this to him. Follow me. He's out of his He's out of his toll booth, and he's following Jesus. That night he has a party. He has a party. And uh, he invites all his friends. It's just the low life of the town. Because <laughs> that's all he knows. They would be all classified as the low life of the town. It's like Jesus got into so much trouble. Because he's with those people. <laughs> like those are the people of the kind. And who's there? Jesus is there. Jesus is right there. So it's... This is Matthew who writes this. You know, in all the, all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all end at different places. To me, it's no wonder that Matthew ends here at this point. Therefore, go. Why? Because somebody came to him. Somebody went and came to him, and he got it. And he just thinking, whatever you do, whatever you do, Go. Don't think you can stay here. These are the words that he leaves you with. These are the words that are so impacted, Matthew. Therefore, go, go. God, my friends, mission. It's just, it's the heart of God. It's, it's where, I mean, it's just touched Matthew's life. And so I'm going to concentrate on the aspect of mission. Now, it will be primarily here. And I know it says to all nations. I, I get that. Right at this moment, we have a couple in Nepal. They're out there. They're serving the churches out there, churches that we've connected to, particularly the King's Church, Kathmandu, also serving in uh, children's homes over there. And we do this stuff. We have people in, we have a person in southern Sudan. We have a couple in Pakistan. I mean, we serve in nations. Please don't think I am excluding them. If you... If you want to get a flavor of overseas, about three weeks ago, there was an interview with Jonathan and Anna up here on Sunday morning. I mean, it was just excellent. It was absolutely excellent. Everybody was buzzing with it. I suggest you download it. I suggest you hear that. It's so good for you to hear the nations. But I'm talking about primarily here today. And you'll notice that in this passage, they're worshiping. You know, for many Christians, that's the place where they stop. Worship. I mean, I love it. I'm standing here this morning worshiping the Lord. You know, it's not a problem for me. Just being with God's people in the presence of God among us, you know. I'm moved. moved, Stand there, moved by the presence of God. But that's not the place we stop. That is not the end goal. Therefore, Go. Jesus loves it when we worship him. He loves it more when we obey him. Therefore, go. And you see the Lord as he really is. When you see the Lord as he really is, he changes you into a person of mission. Are you a person of mission? Why, why, does, why does God do this? Because that's who he is. You can't miss it. This is not a one-off proof text. You'll see this right the way through Scripture. Genesis 12, calls to Abraham. He calls Abraham to to him. He calls him to him and he says, basically, go. 
And then he says this, I will bless you. Make your name great. You'll be a blessing. All peoples will, on earth will be blessed through you. Look, I will bless you. You go bless others. That's the deal. My friends, that's the way he is. That's the way our father is. It's the same with Moses. Moses has this burning bush encounter. Exodus chapter 3. You know, I've been down to my garden many, many times. Probably not as enough as the garden needs. But I've been down there many times. And never, I've, never, I've never had a burning bush. Close, when I've had a fire. But even when I've had that, I've, no voice has ever spoken to me. But Moses has this voice. He steps aside, has a look. And this voice speaks to him. And the end of the conversation is that and Moses, Moses falls on his face. He has, he has an awesome encounter with God. Awesome to me is what God is about. Not 51 varieties of ice cream. Awesome is about what God is like. You want to know what awesome is? Have a look at Isaiah. Have a look at Moses. I mean, they have awesome. They understand the awesome presence of God. And the conversation goes on with Moses. And in the end, God says, go. You read it. Go. He didn't want to go, but he says, go. It's the heart of God. Isaiah, Isaiah 6. You want to talk about presence? You want encounters? I mean, this man has an encounter. He, he has an encounter where the thresholds of the temple shake. He comes apart in the presence of God. I mean, he is shattered by the presence of God. He cries out, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. And then God has a mission. And the next thing, this ruined man gets on his feet and says, here I am. Send me. And God says, Go. This is part of his heart. Mission is part of his heart. We go. Mission is about people, my friends. It's, it's the way he is. When you see the Lord as he really is, you become a person of mission. I say, when you see him as he really is, not a general belief in God. No, not a general belief in God. You know, somebody who must be up there because I can't make sense out of this world. I can't see how this could actually... I can't get the Big Bang and all of that. I can't get that. There must be a creator behind there. There must be a, a force. No, he's not a, just a backdrop to life. When you know him as he really is, he changes you. He encounters you. It's not a thoughtless tick in a religious box... When you know more, he really is. And he, he, breaks the, he, he breaks the what's in it for me mentality do we have. And he breaks our consumerist outlook. When you know him as he really is. The going is always with people in mind. It's always people. It's not the project. As good as that is, it's the end result of the project. It's the people. That's the heart of God. Why would we be any different? Amen? Why would we be any different? So, my friends, this talk is called Mission Costs. Mission Costs. And I want to underline 
what that means. It costs relationally. It costs to give yourself to this town. And bearing in mind, in two weeks' time we have a gift day, I'm going to spell it out. It costs financially. Mission costs. Ask Jesus. Mission, my friends, costs. By the way, just about the gift day, this is a, it's not an aside, but it's important. We brought it forward to the 19th of October because we felt when we get into the second half of November, it gets close to Christmas and it presents an unnecessary tension for people. So that is why we brought it forward to the, towards the end of October, the 19th of October. Just in case you are wondering, that is the reason for it. Anyway, let me take the simple matter of relational cost. It costs relationally. I just want to give you my personal perspective on this. Because you might see this as, um, and I'm not saying you would, but there, there may be some who would think big church, two meetings, now going for a second site, you know what, this is just some glory trip for leaders. Just, it's just a leadership glory trip. Well, if that's your perception, I just want to tell you, you, you couldn't be more wrong. You could not be more wrong. You know, mission costs. When we, went, when we were at one meeting, when we were at one meeting, we pretty much knew everybody. I mean, even then when it was big, we just knew everybody. You know, and everybody would come in here and, and you had time with people. Because you didn't have a half an hour turnaround. You know, everybody in, everybody out. Find a car park space, get in, get out, get the coffees done, all the rest. You didn't have that. You, you, you basically, you knew most people. I knew most people. I, nearly, I knew nearly all the pastoral struggles. I wasn't behind them. I knew nearly all of them. I met with people most weeks because most weeks they'd be here. And we wouldn't have to have counseling sessions, but I knew they were here. I knew where, they, where things were at. You could do this with one meeting. It's comfortable. And it's close, secure. And then you go to two meetings. Two meetings is really different. It's different because you make space for God to move and fill up the seats. And then God moves and fills up the seats. In his grace, he does that. And then you think, I don't know the people like I, I just don't know as many people. You know, there's so many people. We would be like this about four or five years ago. At 11.30, a whole lot more will come in. It'll take 20 minutes to do that. But a whole lot more will come in. And it won't be far off this size. That's a heck of a lot of people, you know. That's a lot of people. I mean, that's the grace of God, don't you think? That's the sheer kindness of God. This is what happens. You can't keep up with it. You just cannot keep up with it. You can't keep up with everybody's names either. I am really sorry. If you said hi to me in the streets, and I've said, hi. (laughs) or, Or if I've got your name wrong, or if I've introduced myself to you for the fifth time or the sixth time and said, Hey, are you new here? I thought, I must get a better line than that. There is, I know there's a better line than that. There must be a better one than that. you, You can't keep up with it. And to remember all the names. I remembered yours, Vernon, didn't I? 
Yeah, and you were surprised. That's probably because I called him Philip about five times, you know. It's just you can't remember all the names. You know, from a personal point of view, this is what happens. I can't know everybody like I used to. And then you don't know everybody struggles like you used to. And you found out about certain pastoral situations much later. And then you feel guilty for not knowing. Because these are people that you know. And you think, I never knew that. I'm behind the curve. And I love that person. And I've grown up with them in this church for 20 odd years. I just, I don't know what, it costs. Mission costs, my friends. And I, it's just not comfortable. And what's more, I'm so grateful that there are other people and they're picking it up and they're doing the stuff. But from a personal point of view, you, got, you work through this sort of guilt stuff because you're not where it used to be. Well, a church is not where it used to be. It's changed. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I wouldn't have it any other way, I can tell you. But it costs relationally. You, you have to, your friends have to be very gracious to you. Because things don't stay as they are. You meet new people and you connect with new people. That all takes time. And some of your friends you have less time with. And they don't see you like they used to see you. It costs. Actually, I think it costs Des, my wife, more than me. I'm caught up in it. But we just don't have the time to develop relationships that we used to because things have moved on and there are new people and new people that we connect to and we give ourselves to. It costs. Mission, my friends, costs. I'm sure you're going to have 55 different varieties of how I can get over this. But I'm just telling you, it's change. And it isn't comfortable. So don't think mission is comfortable. Relationally, it isn't. But this is the heart of the Father. And if we were to take our foot off the accelerator and turn off the taps, I would feel grieved. And so would he. The call is to go. It is to go, my friends. And I love what God is doing. And hear me, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love it. I love seeing people saved. I love seeing people come into the kingdom. I love all this. You know, when we go to a second site, it's still, it's going to cost. Because some people are going to move. Some people are going to go. And you saw them every week. Suddenly, gone. Why? On mission. They're going. It costs, my friends. And don't think it's just, it, it costs for those who go. And sometimes it costs more for those who stay. Because the ones who go, they're on an adventure. And the ones who stay, basically they're in the same place. But it's still an adventure. Because it takes God to fill. It takes God to fill this place. So, mission costs relationally. Now, this is where lines get a little bit blurred. It costs to love this town, and it costs financially. One of our goals is to be a church 
that is known for its positive contribution to the town. It's a church that blesses this town. God is for High Wycombe, not against it. Christians are often too much known for what they're against and not enough known for what they're for. That's, just think about that for a moment. I know some church leaders, by the way, particular towns. I mean, I've met up with them, and they're quite ambivalent about the town. It's all about the church, all about the church, just ambivalent. One of them said, I hate living in this town. That's not this town, by the way. I thought, how can you do that? You know, God has called you to a place. Surely you've got to have the heart of the place, which is filled with people. That's the mission of God. So, God has put us here. And I want us to be alive to this blessing that we have to be a blessing to other people. That's one of the reasons we partnered with CAP, Christians Against Poverty, payday lenders such as Wonga, frequently in the news. Some of these people you know, some of these payday lenders, they charge upwards of 5,000%. It's disgusting. It's obscene. Absolutely obscene. And then they have the cheek. I'm glad things have come to light this week. Don't get me on this. But I'll just... (laughs) Then they have the cheek to say, well, actually, we haven't done all the checks that we should have done with these people. And who are these people? These people are the most weak and vulnerable in society. That's who they are. And you're taking advantage of them. I say that's obscene. It's obscene. We partnered with CAP, and um, debt is a major problem. People frequently get out of control with their finances. It's one of the biggest factors that contributes to divorce. Our CAP center manager, Ian, he'll be here at the second meeting. He started earlier, he started in April this year from scratch, nothing. Now he has 20 ongoing referrals. It's just amazing. Richard, can you come out and... John, can you give Richard the mic? Just one instant. Just one instant. Yeah, thanks, Ian. This is uh, back in the summer. Can I stand? Sure. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, well. Here we go. I've written this down to make sure I don't misrepresent what happened. This is as far as it gets. Bless you anyway. It's been nice to be with you. (laughs) (laughs) Always wanted to do that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so this is the summer. Ian, he, um, so he visits clients in their homes. And this, is this particular client, this summer, um, two, done two visits uh, with his client, fact-finding visit, and then a visit just to, f- to find out how, how the uh, budget can be restructured. And uh, this client had had quite a, a poor experience of, of church a, as a child, and so was rather skeptical about about cap, about things to do with church. But the first two uh, visits went well, and then Ian, with a befriender from Kings, went back for a third visit, and this visit is to agree the provisional budget that this client will live from. And they go back, they're just about to talk through the budget that's been worked out. And she turns around, she says to them, there's no point having this meeting. We might as well stop. And it's a bit of a shock. So why? Why why do we need to stop? Was the question. And she said, well, I'm about to be evicted. 
I'm going to be evicted next week. This is all pointless. And so Ian thought, better get the skates on here. I didn't know what to do, so called the CAP Central Office, which is based in Bradford. And he was put through to their specialist court team. And that day, they prepared papers uh, with an instruction for Ian to go back to the court and ask for an additional hearing to try and postpone the eviction. And uh, he did that. And this additional hearing, that was granted on the same day as the eviction order, but just slightly before, I think a couple of hours before. So Ian went to court, went with a client, went into the courtroom with the duty solicitor and the judge. And the judge turned around to Ian and said, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And so Ian explained that he was from Christians Against Poverty and that he was helping the client to manage her debts. And the judge's response to Ian was this. He said, uh, oh, Christians Against Poverty, he said. They've got a really, really good reputation. I'm really pleased that your client is working with you. And I postponed this eviction order for four weeks. Four weeks. And then the landlord, the landlord then postpones the eviction order. He adjourns it indefinitely. Why? Why does he do that? Because Cap worked with this client and the client started to pay back the arrears on the rent through the cap money account she'd set up to help pay her debts. And all this meant that the client was very, very pleased. She was now in her own home, and she was very pleased with cap and started to become very positive about church-type things, so much so that Ian took the client. Um, one of the things is Cap, you try and bless the clients, went on a shopping, just a short shopping trip to the supermarket with a befriender from King's. And uh, she said to them while she was on this trip, she said, uh, you, really, you guys really do care, don't you? You really care. And they were on the shopping trip. I bumped into a relative, just so happened, just bumped into a relative of hers while they're going around the supermarket. And she said to this relative, she said, oh, these are my friends. Uh, these are my friends from the King's Church in High Wycombe. And then she went on to tell a friend of hers about Christians Against Poverty, who's now also a client. So what difference has Cap made to her life? Well, we kept her in a home. We've shown Jesus' love to her. We've helped her life get on an even keel with regards to finances. We've given her a positive experience of Jesus and the church. And she's telling others. And she's coming into the church building to keep Ian updated on the finances. It's making a change at the cutting edge, isn't it? I'm just really encouraged. Psalm 41 verse 1 says, Blessed is, the, blessed is he who has regard for the weak. We have, a, we have a mission here in this town to love our town. It costs money to bless our town. It costs money to have a cap center. Salary costs, cap costs. I want to say mission costs, my friend. We help out with one can, the food bank. It, it's just 
we're now a distribution center. We want this place to be a place where the struggling can feel welcomed and accepted. We have a shower room now that we, we fitted out and completely fitted out in the West End Hall for the homeless. That when they're here once a week during that three months that they have and they're here once a week, they can have a, they can have a proper shower and, and, be, and be, how would I put it? Be honored. Have a sense of giving dignity when they're among us. Blessed is he who has regard for the weak. Commitment like this costs. You know, to bless this town, it is a financial cost. There's no doubt about it. We invest in students. We invest with young people, older people, small groups to the disadvantaged in our, in our town. We do that. I'm not calling us a church above any other church. There are other churches in this town. They do similar things. They do other things. They do other things better than us. I'm just saying we are called to be a blessing to this town. You know, one of the mums, one of our mums here told me that friends, friends of hers think that Little Stars, which is our mother and toddlers group on a Tuesday and a Friday, is the best in the town. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. And again, I'm not trying to be both. I, just, I think it's just good to hear that it's so well thought of. You know, sometimes you want to just drop in and see the size of little stars here on a Tuesday or a Friday. I mean, you want to see it. I mean, it's teeming with children. I mean, I make sure I'm comfortable almost. So I don't say that anymore. But I'll tell you, it's teeming with them. It's just being a blessing. Julian, a Roman emperor, tried to stem the tide of Christianity, revive paganism. He wrote about the advance of Christianity and his disgust of it to a friend and asked why this gospel was spreading. And his friend replied, their success, this is Christians, their success lies in their charity to all. They care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. That's one of the things that marked them out as having a massive impact, impact in the Roman emperor at the time. We don't want to miss a God moment. God is for this town, not against it. And I'd like us to be known as a church that is for this town. Jesus promises to be fishers of men. And let me just use the, it's so totally obvious. One of the essential requirements for those who fish is to go where the fish are. That's why we're going second sight. We're going, we want to go over to the east side of Wickham, where, where three out of the four reserved areas for housing are set up in that area. Three of the four major reserved areas for housing are set up in that area. We want to just be part of that community. The driving principle, what's that mission? Let me just say something about a second sight, by the way. So, one size doesn't fit all. It allows the church to grow larger and smaller at the same time. It gives choice. Some simply prefer a smaller and more intimate setting. Contrary to what people think, the 1,200-seater auditorium is not everybody's cup of tea. I can assure you. Someone once said, 
that it is leaders who like it big, but most people like it small. I thought, what a great line. The prevailing attitude towards many sites is that the gospel is not just a rescue mission, but it's a relationship mission too. So you have to connect to a community. The church therefore grows bigger and smaller at the same time. Second site means a building. Second, you've got to go somewhere. I don't know whether we rent it, buy it. I'm not sure what God will do. But it will require <laughs> being in that place. I, my friends, we need to pray. We need to pray because they are not, it, uh, the place is not teeming with buildings that can accommodate that. So we need to pray. We need to call out to God to open. We've already started looking, but we need to call out to God to help us. We have to equip. We have to put personnel in there. We have to set up. I mean, a church near here put 100,000 pounds aside just for that, and they were in rental. And that, I mean, I don't know how much it will cost us. We may even have the opportunity to buy a building. I don't know, but the point is mission costs. And financially, we're going to need to make a response. It's a sensitive subject in the UK. Last week, Daryl really challenged about money. You may not have agreed with everything he said. You may have a different view about pensions. Actually, I do. But he has definitely challenged us about money and our attitude towards it. Giving isn't about money, by the way. It's about the heart That's why Jesus spoke about it more times than almost anything else. Giving, money, financial. Where does your faith fit in with giving? Do you have any faith space? Is it all what you can title down to? Do you have faith space? How will you grow in faith? Does your giving cost? When was the last time you gasped as you gave? (sighs) When did you do that? This is being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Generosity is not an obligation, my friends. It's an absolute privilege. So, this is what it means to follow Jesus. At present, and I only have a few minutes left, you'll be pleased to know, we're below last year's giving. We're below last year's giving primarily in our Sunday morning offerings. Is that right, Richard? Yeah, Sunday morning offerings. We're projected to be between twenty-five to 30,000 below by the end of the year. We're eating into our reserves, and yet we have more people coming. I mean, this September has been huge. Just, we have had a 13% increase in people coming. So, we need to make up a shortfall. That is true. But we also need to invest for the future, too. This town doesn't just have lots of people. It has... It has Lots of people from incredible diverse backgrounds, languages, ethnicity. We have such an opportunity to paint the color of this town, Jesus. I would hate us to miss it. I would hate us to miss it. We have so many nations gathered here, just here, on a Sunday morning. Don't think that our gospel just happens here. From the nations that we connect it, it goes out to nations. People take it back to their home country. Don't think it's just a thing that goes on here. It's such an opportunity. 
I want streams of stories like Leanne, who got healed last Sunday from being unable to hear without hearing aids and then healed. From people who got, somebody rang up, told people they received the gifts of tongues last, uh, during the week. Was that right? If you've got stories, tell us. It's no good being a closed shop here. We need to hear the good things that Jesus is doing and proclaim it because we want to splash his color all over this town. Amen? Right, let's stand and pray, shall we? Lord, you're the God of more. You are the God of more. We love this gospel that Matthew's written and deliberately ended it at this point on go. Why? Because you looked over a stack of coins and said, follow me. You, and he realized that that didn't stop with him, but it was to go to other people. So, Lord, we pray. Oh, God, we pray. Break our self-centeredness. Break our consumerist, what's in it for me, mentality. Break that, we pray. Make us a people of mission. We want to be a people of mission. Why? Because this is your heart. Lord, move us. Change us. When we're out in the streets meeting people, Lord, do something in us. Baptize us. Baptize us with compassion for people. That lady that Richard spoke about, Lord, there are, there are thousands Absolutely thousands, Lord. Wrecked lives. Lord, we pray. We pray, God, do something with us. We'll bring the little that we have, Lord. That's all you require with feeding 5,000 people. We'll bring the little that you have. And Lord, you do the rest. But we're crying out to you, Lord, do the rest. Come and make us a people of mission, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.